0: everybody welcome to the someone like me season finale live stream we're celebrating a full first season of this incredible podcast um, made possible by the jones legacy group so we want to be sure to thank them for their generous support if you are watching and you listened to the show thank you Uh, your listenership was incredibly encouraging as we went along the way telling these stories Busting Myths, and we're so grateful to be here for your questions. This is what today is all about. Whether you had questions about survivors or about any of the myths we talked about or domestic human trafficking in general, there are a couple experts on this stream who can give us a lot of important information. So let me take a second to introduce who you're seeing on the screen. Uh, My name is Leslie. I got the um, privilege and honor to host this season of Someone Like Me talking that survivors, telling their stories. Uh, we have Margie Quinn, who is the CEO of End Slavery Tennessee, Uh, Derry Smith, who is the founder of End Slavery Tennessee, and Gregory Byerline, who is the producer, editor, and kind of um, the brains behind this whole show and the impetus for why it's here. So thank you all on the screen for being here. Um, Again, this is to answer your questions. So if you have any questions that come up, you can just put them in the comments below. And we want to spend a good amount of time talking about those questions. That's what this is all about. While you do that, uh, we have a couple things we want to touch on. We want to share a clip or two that some of us thought were important from this season and then tell you some ways you can get involved with End Slavery Tennessee and their work. This first season, we covered a ton of topics and they were every story was different. Like, there was vulnerability, addiction, domestic violence, demand, HIV, grooming, so many topics that were wide ranging. Um, And one of the first clips that Derry actually submitted as being an important clip that she kind of thought was really um, something we need to relook at was a clip from Stephanie's episode, the very first survivor episode we ever had. Um, So let's play that clip and then Derry, you can tell us more about why you chose it. What did your life look like uh, before your experience?
1: That brought you to Enslavery Tennessee. Before my experience that brought me to Enslavery Tennessee. So like childhood, teenage years. Yeah. um, Yeah. As a child, it wasn't very, well, to me, I guess it was normal because it's the only thing that I knew. But I had an alcoholic father and a mother who struggled with addiction. Mm -hmm. My father left when I was two years old. And not only did my mother struggle with addiction, but she, um, I guess she sought out different men Um, So, there would be random men who would stay the night. I know she got married about five times. So, um, there was sexual abuse from some of those men. Um, My mother was very emotionally detached, sometimes not even physically present. I remember at one point, I was maybe 12 years old and left in charge of my brother and sister for two weeks. And she went on a rendezvous with one of her biker
2: husbands and uh, we had ramen noodles for Hmm.
0: I think that might have clipped off at the end. She said we had ramen noodles for two weeks. Um, Derry, can you tell us more about why you chose this clip?
2: Sure. I think Stephanie's story illustrates what we see in almost every survivor story. Some clear indicators of things that make people more vulnerable to human trafficking. In her case, we saw an addicted parent. We saw neglect. I mean, at 12 years old, she's left for two weeks to take care of her younger siblings. And we see child abuse, which is present in, present in almost every survivor's story. Mm-hmm. Um, other indicators might be domestic violence or other kinds of trauma. So really, I think it's so important to realize that every state needs to have a system in place that flags those indicators and intervenes with services for those young people before trafficking ever happens. Hmm.
0: I remember you telling the story in this time that we've been talking, developing the show about Hmm. the importance of you Founding in Slavery Tennessee as being a regional program. So it's not a, you know, it's not a national, but with the idea that if you can be a regional program, you can really affect and impact, get involved with law enforcement and have kind of a deeper cut in what's happening. Um, And that's one of the really awesome things about how in Slavery Tennessee works. And a lot of people ask how they can get involved. The first way we wanna tell you about, Margie, I'll have you take over and tell us about um, Voices of Freedom, which is the yearly fundraiser. So Margie, go ahead and tell us about that and how people can get involved.
1: Yeah, thanks Leslie. So on October 1st of this year, we'll celebrate our annual gala, uh, Obviously we usually have it in person um, and it's a fantastic event, but this year we're going virtual uh, and you can stream the event. Yes. Uh, <laughs> our uh, We were going to have it at Loveless cafe, but they are, they are now going to be providing the meals. You can buy a table for 10 folks. Um, if you have a big family or a close knit family of friends, mask up and get some great Loveless meals and stream that uh, there at your house or on your back patio. Um, This is something that we've never done before, but couples tickets are going to go on sale today. Um, So we're thrilled to announce that um, those can come with a meal or without a meal. And uh, you would get access to the live stream as well as um, the live auction that's going to be going on. So I encourage you to uh, go to our website and learn more about the Voices of Freedom. Um, There are going to be some short films um, that are going to be similar to the Someone Like Me uh, monologues. The, these stories. These are actual survivor stories acted out. Uh, it's going to be tremendously impactful. Um, there's going to be some live music and an update on everything that's going on at In Slavery Tennessee. So go to our website and check out the opportunity to join our our virtual live streaming Voices of Freedom.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm so excited because I I get to host and MC the thing, and I'm just I'm so giddy. It's going to be amazing. And I think what's really neat. Um, Is the someone like me uh, name is actually what you're calling these monologues, these short films. Uh, And what's so cool about that is Gregory, you and last year there was actually a monologue event as well. And that's what you saw that kind of led to the idea of doing this show. Uh, so there's kind there's this string that's just pulling everything together. And even the phrase, someone like me, um, is very, very close to the in-slavery Tennessee um, family. It came from a survivor who was on a phone call with TBI, which included Margie, the CEO, where she uttered the phrase, someone like me. Um, and if you want to hear the whole conversation, her name is Nicole. It's episode seven. And Gregory, you actually sent in one of her clips as something you kind of thought we could touch on. So while you're asking questions after this clip, we're going to get to your questions and spend a lot of time on that. But let's play Nicole's clip really quick. And then Gregory, you can kind of tell us what you took away from it. Sure.
3: You never really know where you are in your healing process until you're presented with a situation. And I thought, I wanted to be far enough along that I knew I wanted to be that survivor that helps the next one, like my mentor did for me. I wanted to be somebody's hope, somebody's light. And I wanted it so badly. I wanted to do whatever I possibly could to help. And so that meant going on this sing operation. And it was really cool to see the work and the effort that people do to try to help these girls, even if they don't see it as help at the time. Because I know when it happened to me and I got busted, it felt like my walls were coming down. However, this thing was successful on TBI's side of it. On my end of it, I actually had to walk outside of the building. It was too much for me. It was too familiar to be seeing it. was kind of like deja vu and it triggered me in such a way that I had to go process after. And that's kind of when my mentor saw she's not quite there yet. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah, Gregory, tell us what struck you about that.
3: Um,
4: Overall, what struck me was just Nicole herself. I mean, that is a serious amount of bravery to willingly go back to uh, a situation that w- could be, and clearly was so triggering. Um, she went through unimaginable treatment um, and mistreatment, and to be willing to help pay it forward, and also be someone's um, light, she said, and to be a help to someone who was going through that also. Um, but fresh out of a sting, like literally on location, um, I, I just can't grasp my, I can't wrap my head around that. And um, Nicole, if you're listening, thank you for, do, for doing that. And for bravery that you um, clearly have, and uh, I'm grateful that you are with slavery, Tennessee to mm-hmm. work through all of that junk.
0: The, the bravery for all of the survivors, what I, you, you, You kind of get to the end of a conversation and you just have to thank them for um opening themselves up to reliving things um and uh, nicole's conversation in particular was very raw and um if you haven't listened to that episode i highly suggest that you take a listen it's an incredible story um that involves margie when she was working for tbi uh, which she did for many years. So, well, let's transition to question and answer time. And this is what this uh, stream is all about. Uh, I, we have a few pre-submitted questions and we have some questions in the comments. So let's just jump into it. What's our first question? What is something new that you learned about this important work through the process of making the podcast that you didn't know before? Mm, um, yeah, that's great. I'm going to start. And then I think I'll let this is we a lot of the questions we tend to get um, the experts have to handle because we're kind of uh, just uh, we don't know as much as Derry and Margie. But Gregory and I can talk about this one. Uh, One very specific thing that I remember in one of the interviews, there's this there's a very common thread um, when we're talking about domestic violence. and, And this is a very generational sort of a crime oftentimes. And I just started thinking about these people, these survivors, when they were in elementary school, middle school, and comparing that to my experience as an elementary school kid, I typically got the right amount of sleep. I had a quiet house at nighttime. I was able to do my homework. I'd... But for a child who maybe their mom was um, involved with trafficking or maybe they even were being trafficked themselves there are all these forces at play that how in the world could you learn and have a normal childhood. And then let's say by the time, if you do get out of um, trafficking or even abuse and you get to adulthood, there's so much that's, that's missed. Um, And, and I, I just kind of had one of those comparative experiences where I went, this is all so wrapped up in so many things with abuse and neglect and domestic violence. And um, so that was one of the things that I I think I realized is looking for those red flags instead of just, oh, the child's not paying attention or they're acting out. Um, what could be going on at home that's causing this? So that's what I, that's one of the very specific things I took away.
4: Yeah. And I appreciated the fact that organizations like inslavery Tennessee exist on the, back and on the restoration side, uh, it's one thing to um, leave that lifestyle, whether rescued out or uh, saved from a sting operation or just, you know, an, an escape of sorts. But it's another to have a safe place to go to, um, an organization with resources to help you get back on your feet and work through that trauma. Um, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah.
0: Derry, Margie, do you have anything you wanna share there? Or do we wanna go on to the next question? Go on, okay, awesome. Thank you, Amy, for that question. That's great. What's the next one? Oh yeah, so um, Inslavery has community groups around town. And so the Brentwood Community Group asked, why would a victim go back to their trafficker and why would that feel safe to them?
2: I'll take that one. Uh, I think there are so many reasons for first of all the victim has been groomed by their trafficker and a lot of times they're showered with gifts during that grooming process a lot of times trauma bonds form and then the trafficker will turn around and make them feel like they owe something for the things they've been given also victims often see their traffickers as almost omnipresent. I'm sure the traffickers are perpetuating that image. And so they feel like no matter where they go, that trafficker is going to know where they are and you're going to be able to find them. And so they fear the repercussions. Um, They often don't trust law enforcement or government agencies in general, sometimes because they've been let down by the system somewhere along the way in their past. But probably the biggest thing of all is a sense that they don't have any options and this is all they know. And that's why it's so important for an agency like End Slavery Tennessee to be there right from the beginning, to build trust, to assure that victim that they will be kept safe, that they'll receive comprehensive services and that um, will be there as long as the support is needed.
0: Yeah. Immediately, that question makes me think of the episode with um, Callie, who was uh, she was in her 30s when she was trafficked. And it was two years from meeting her trafficker until she until it was actually happening to her. And in that two years, it's it's a the episode is essentially she really wanted to talk about grooming. Um, And so. Really, that's that would be a great episode to listen to, to, to understand exactly why um, someone wouldn't leave a trafficker. Um, manipulation is strong, and um, we all, if we're vulnerable, can be put in some precarious situations that are very difficult to leave. So thank you for that question. Should we go on to the next one? What has become of the traffickers who abuse these survivors? Oh, that's a good question. Margie, maybe you can handle that one.
1: Yeah. um, So in some cases, obviously, these traffickers are prosecuted. Um, Many victims do want to see justice or seek justice uh, through conviction. And um, I can tell you that on the enforcement side, we were always far more successful with that when a victim had been through services at In Slavery Tennessee because they're there to walk that really tough journey Mm. with law enforcement um, and the court system, which can be triggering and painful and adversarial. Um, So many times the victim is sort of put on trial herself. And um, so in some cases, they do not seek justice. And those those reasons can be pretty complicated. It's really tough if you've been the victim of familial trafficking. So if your mother or your brother, your father, your uncle, uh, mm-hmm. trafficked you, um, those relationships can be so complicated. Uh, and many times, uh, victims of trafficking, especially familial trafficking do not want the responsibility and the added trauma of putting their mother in jail or their father in jail or their brother in jail. And so for different reasons, there are different outcomes on trafficking cases. But I think that more and more, uh, at least over the last five years, we are seeing more and more convictions for trafficking. Uh, and I would say, um, not just because I, I'm now the CEO at Inslavery Tennessee, but um, I can tell you that, that in, in large part, that is because of the kind of services that Inslavery Tennessee can deliver uh, for a victim.
0: One of the things that has come up in this season that I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about, Margie, are the laws that have changed and how, um, and I can't remember the year, but at some point, there there was a time when child prostitution, a child could be criminally charged with prostitution, and that has changed, which has affected traffickers, right? I mean, that's, there are more convictions because the laws have changed, right? Am I, am I sure? Yes,
1: that? absolutely. So um, in, in some ways, um, we have broken down barriers by uh, creating great uh, state policy. So one of the first things we did uh, as a state when we started looking and recognizing trafficking for the problem that it was, was decriminalized prostitution for minors. And that happened in 2011 we were one of the first four states in the nation to decriminalize prostitution for minors. That doesn't mean we made prostitution legal. It means we are just no longer charging children um, with prostitution. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when the code is in conflict, so you had part of the code that said these victims, these children were victims of trafficking. And then you had another area of the criminal code that said, no, these, these kids are criminals. Um, We can't have conflict like that within, within the Tennessee code annotated. So, once we did that, we could really start to educate um, law enforcement and the community and the media about, you know, there is no such thing as child prostitution. There is no such thing as teen prostitution.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so that kind of broke down the barriers and started this kind of landslide of, of opportunities for new laws. Um, instead of it now being a, a misdemeanor to purchase a child for sex, is if the child is under the age of 15, it's a class A felony, which is the same charge as murder, for instance. Mm. So the state has taken really seriously this idea of the buying and selling of our children. And in 2014, we actually changed the trafficking statute to add purchasing in so that uh, and the legislature's intent there is to make sure that uh, people who go out and, and intentionally purchase a child for sex, Uh, can be charged under the trafficking statute. That's not solicitation for prostitution or just regular solicitation, which is a class C felony. It is um, in most cases, either an A or B felony, a felony if it's under 15, B felony if it's 15 to 18.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, Let's move on to the next question. Is there somewhere in Mari County that I could support and offer some kind of volunteer work? Ooh, great question. Derry, Margie, Margie, you want to take
1: that? Yeah, sure. So um, we've got a great Spring Hill group um, that we would love to to get you in touch with. Um, We have community groups around the metro area uh, that that do various fundraisers and awareness events. Um, We have a speakers bureau so that we train you to go out and speak to community groups, civic groups, um, so that you raise awareness about trafficking and how it impacts your, um, your area. Uh, the TBI's one of their last sting operations actually was in Spring Hill, and I uh, I want to say they arrested about 11 men um, in Spring Hill for uh, for either solicitation or uh, trafficking. And so uh, that's a great question. And um, if you will contact us and in a um, an email to the to the agency, we will get you hooked up with the right community group, and we'd love to have you on board.
0: That's great. Um- This might be a good time to touch on Hands of Hope as well um, for other people who are interested to know how they can be involved within slavery and what they're doing in a financial way. Maybe they're too busy with, you know, being able to actively volunteer. So Margie, please tell us about Hands of Hope.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, And this is a great time to join Hands of Hope. Hands of Hope is a monthly giving program. Uh, You go on the website. First thing you're going to see is a give button hit that give button and it'll take you to a screen where you can select either a one-time gift or a monthly gift. You can start as low as $5 a month. So basically you can give us a cup of coffee every month. Um, It's a great way to start if you're new to charitable giving. Right now we have a donor who's going to match every first time gift in hands of hope. Um, And yeah, and that is just fantastic. So what that does for in slavery, Tennessee is give us the confidence and peace of mind um, to know that we're going to get, a certain amount of donations, uh, a certain influx of resources into our agency each month. So we can then start to really plan uh, our operations um, and our restor- restorative uh, options for survivors. Um, for instance, this, this month, we have been helping a, a young survivor, a juvenile survivor prepare for her first year in college. So we've been helping her kind of outfit her dorm and get her school supplies. Um, and cool. if, if you become a member of Hands of Hope, that's the kind of stuff that your money is going to go to help. Um, it's it's going to help these survivors get back on their feet and get going again.
0: Hmm. That's fantastic.
1: Um, yeah.
0: the And you can see on the screen, there's a p- specific URL you can go to for that. Uh, let's do another question. I think we have a couple more that will come through. And it, ask if, you know, if any question comes up ask it in the comments. If we get more questions, we want to stay at getting done at 1230. So within half an hour, if we have more questions, we're going to just roll over into a sort of encore with those questions. But um, let's get to the next one. Okay. What is the best way to handle a situation where labor trafficking appears to be at play? Is calling the human trafficking hotline the best way? Would calling the police get the young men in more trouble? I think there was a, there was a longer sort of um, preface there about um, this person thought they saw some young men maybe being labor trafficked. That was uh, a conversation that we hope to get to in a future season. So Derry, do you want to talk about that? Actually, Margie was going
2: to oh, handle Margie, that. Margie, go one.
1: for it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I think what we're talking about is young people that you see going around and selling various um, uh, magazines or other products. Um, we've seen all kinds of different schemes. That, that's I'm putting my law enforcement hat back on. We've seen all kinds of different schemes um, that that do appear to be labor trafficking, and they affect young people. And we've seen it um, impact um, elderly, senior citizens. Um, who are forced to 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 engage in different activities um, that appear to be labor trafficking. And so I would always encourage anybody to call the human trafficking hotline. Um, uh, it's really important that that hotline um, uh, sort of intakes all the information, centralizes that information, um, be, that way they can put the sort of pieces of the puzzle together because, you may get calls in Brentwood one day for a group that's out selling magazines, but you may get calls the next day in Spring Hill or in Nolensville. And so being able to track that information across our geographical area then becomes very important, not just for law enforcement, but for in Tennessee. We, it helps us plan for the number of survivors that we're going to be asked to, to, uh, to get involved with and deliver services to. Labor trafficking does look very different than sex trafficking. Sometimes they do go hand in hand uh, where you say see labor that you'll see a sex trafficking as well. Um, but labor is very different and it involves um, the forced labor, forced work for little to no compensation. Um, typically, you're separated from paperwork. So that might be driver's license or or a visa or um, a birth certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, they can be there can be threats of violence or um, uh, you know, other threats and coercion to force those people into work. So that's a great question. Yeah, that's Call great. the hotline.
0: Call the hotline. Uh, next question, I think we had another live question that came through. As a college student, what are the best signals to look for when red flags don't seem as obvious for our demographic? Well, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. So college students. Uh, Derry, do you want to
2: start with that one? Sure, I'll start. Um, I I think there are so many red flags. So a lot of times you just have to try to trust your gut when you know something's wrong. And as a student, you have access to what's going on with your peers that other people don't, that older people don't. And so if somebody you know has suddenly changed, um, if they suddenly have an older boyfriend who seems to be always there and answering questions for them. If they suddenly, um, their studies have dropped, they're missing classes. Uh, There could be so many signs um, that are happening. And what I'd encourage you to do is to go to our website. We have a pretty comprehensive list of red flags. They're broken down even by the ones more likely for minors and older people. Obviously, if you see one or two of those red flags, it doesn't necessarily mean trafficking. But if you sense something's wrong and you see some of those red flags, it's always better to speak up. Call the hotline. The you know, we're told by the the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation agents they'd rather you be wrong and call than the, you be right and not call. Mm.
0: That's great. Margie, do you have anything to add to that? Nope, all good. Okay. We have another question and actually, Let's go ahead and just, for those people that need to get off, um, could only join us for a half hour. Let's We're going to just wrap up really quickly, and then we're going to come back on this same stream, so you don't have to worry about um, finding a new link or anything. Um, but we wanted to take just a brief moment to remind you to subscribe to the podcast, someone like me. Um, even though the first season is done, we're actively planning on season two, gathering topics, um, gathering survivors that want to tell their stories. Um, and so, so your support can actually make that happen. Uh, Jones Legacy Group made season one happen. We're so grateful. And the more people listen, the more people give, uh, we can actually make this thing happen for a second season. So uh, inslaverytn.org and the podcast links are um, very findable. It's very easy to find them. So if you listened this season, thank you. Um, we thank you. The survivors thank you. It's important um, just by listening. Uh, it. It educates us so much to just listen to other people's stories. So thank you for everyone who's joined us for this this first half hour. Um, Hang on. We're going to roll right into more questions. I think we have some more questions. And so if you can stay online with us, please do. So thanks for joining us. And um, we're going to play our little video thing uh, before we come back. So bye, everybody. All right, welcome back. Um, okay, so yeah, we had a few additional <clears throat> questions. So if you're still with us, thank you. Uh, let's get to the next one. Um, what are or other organizations besides In Slavery Tennessee help with capturing traffickers? Uh, since we talked specifically about domestic um, human trafficking, I think that's let's start there. Um, so, okay,
2: Gary, I'll jump in there. Um, I think this is a really good opportunity to dispel another myth and slavery Tennessee does not rescue victims or capture traffickers. That Mm -hmm. is the job of law enforcement. So in our state, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, local law enforcement agencies are the ones who are going to be doing that work. Um, And that's important because first of all, for others to engage in rescue is dangerous for the victim, for themselves, for any law enforcement that chooses to, that, that engages at any point, they have to worry about your safety then too. Uh, it just complicates the situation. And also law enforcement knows what it takes to make a strong case in court um, and, and somebody else, wouldn't it be so sad to get a victim out and then screw up the legal proceedings afterwards so that the trafficker got away. Um, what, what we do is provide services And by providing those services, victims become much more likely to get to the place in their healing process to testify against their trafficker so that there is prosecution, as well as to be able to really access the the services that they need for their healing journey. Now, we do advocate for law changes and we do that very successfully. Margie alluded to that. Um, We do participate in law enforcement stings or operations. So that we can be there to, um, to comfort a victim and to assure them of the options that they do have, but we do not conduct rescue operations or capture traffickers.
0: That's great. Yep. Another good myth to dispel. Right. Awesome. Thanks, Derry. All right. Next question. As an intern at Inslavery, Tennessee a couple years ago, I noticed that many survivors struggled with seizure disorders. About a year ago, I decided that I wanted to become a physician and to plan, do plan to continue working with high-risk populations. Are there any particular signs that physicians and providers should look for? Are there any types of medical care that survivors are needing more of? This is interesting. This, I, cool. this isn't something that I, um, I myself noticed. So, Derry, Margie, Margie, go ahead and take that one.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, We know that survivors, um, some 80% of survivors, are bumping up into the system um, in the first couple of months that they're trafficked, Um, and many times those uh, systems are medical systems, so they're health departments and doctors' offices, um, emergency rooms. Uh, Many times these cases are going to mask and look like domestic violence because it may be the trafficker that comes in, and as Derry has uh, very eloquently said. Um, through the grooming process, the, the trafficked person uh, is going to refer to, to the trafficker as, as her boyfriend. Um, she's going to think they're in a romantic relationship. Um, and w- we see victims um, who uh, sustain severe trauma, physical trauma, as a result of their trafficking. Um, and that trauma can be delivered by the trafficker, it can be delivered by a, a, a buyer. And um, and so we know that that helping train um, uh, the medical profession is a great opportunity um, to, to get information on, on survivors. Uh, we regularly receive referrals from the medical community. That's hospitals. Um, hospitals now have great social worker programs. Um, and so we'll get a call from a social worker at one of the local hospitals and we'll respond, one of the children's hospitals. Um, uh, health departments, um, you know, where you've got a victim that that comes in is is being treated for um, an injury or um, an illness, and and get and get a referral that that mm-hmm. way. So that's why that that training and education, that advocacy part, is so important. The more we train and more we educate, frankly, the more referrals we get. So the outreach that we're doing at End Slavery Tennessee to that medical community to those other community partners um, that are seeing trafficking victims um, when we go out and we do that education the referral numbers just explode for us and i'll just add hi
2: rachel and i'm so thrilled that your internship with us led you down that career path I'll say we've seen a lot of interns do that, that have their career paths changed by the experience. It's a, a very unique experience to be an intern with within Library, Tennessee, a competitive process too, uh, but something you might consider.
0: Yeah, Um. actually, why don't you talk more about the internship process? Because that's something I don't know much about and maybe people who are watching might be compelled to look into it.
2: Well, it may have changed since my days, so I'm gonna let Margie take that one.
1: Yeah, just you can hit our website again. Uh, the the link I think is going to be um, uh, in this in this uh, live Facebook event. Uh, you can apply to be an intern. Um, we are always looking for great interns, both um, on the direct service side, as well as uh, the development side, marketing, um, uh, you know, finance, uh, HR, uh, depends on kind of what you're interested in. But uh, we could certainly use interns of all different stripes, um, you know, at the agency, and we love to have uh, that kind of new burst of energy um, into the workplace. So, uh, go to our website, and uh, you'll be able to find the the internship applications. Awesome.
0: All right, let's do another question. Let's see if we can at least do one more. What is it with Memphis? Stephanie mentions a whole group of traffickers from Memphis. Yeah. And actually, I I feel like Memphis came up a couple times in this season. So what um, this is a very localized question for Tennessee. What about Memphis makes it unique? Margie, either one of you.
2: I'll jump in and start and Margie can finish up Um, things that come to mind is that Memphis actually has a a sort of unique trafficking culture. Uh, It's a little more in your face and out on the street. And part of that is because a lot of trafficking is uh, as mentioned before generational. So you have whole families who, you know, that's just the, the profession of their family and father teaches son. Um, You have uh, gang activity and where gangs are, you often find trafficking related um, where, where maybe a new recruit to the gang is, is uh, given the task of recruiting a young girl from a school or whatever. uh, And they use that girl to make money for gang activities. Um, And also I think um, there's an economic drive in Memphis, maybe that is strong and this is a money driven um, hmm. uh, problem, you know traffickers are in this for one reason for money. Margie? Yeah,
1: you know, I, I I don't think I'd have too much to add to that. I think when you've got um, an area that uh, where you have children living below the poverty level, um, and you've uh, you've got an increased amount of street gang activity, um this is a great opportunity for gangs to. Um, To sell a reusable product, Um, you can only sell a gun or a drug one time, but you can sell a person over and over again. So uh, Memphis does have have its fair share of gangs, unfortunately, and uh, we see them engaged in trafficking as a a money making opportunity.
0: Hmm. That's good to know. Well, I think that wraps all the questions that we have been sent in. If you have any more questions, you can go to EnslaveryTN.org and ask them there. We've been more than happy to talk with you um, about those questions that you have. Uh, by way of wrap up, I want to get Gregory's voice in here. Um, he has been so good to sit here and um, there, he, the work that Gregory has done on this show is, is just been absolutely amazing. And the only reason I'm really involved is because it was important to us that um, there be a, a female voice that's talking with, Survivors, but Gregory listens to these conversations afterwards, um, and he has two daughters himself. And so Gregory would love your kind of last thoughts before we wrap up.
4: Uh, well, first, I've I have enjoyed uh, this session as well as our launch, uh, just to be in the same digital room with uh, such outstanding women like you three and everyone involved at In Slavery Tennessee who has helped. On an administrative and support end, um, it was a wild hair idea, and I'm delighted that uh, Dairy caught the vision for it, and we were able to to pull this off for a first season. Um, and I, I just want to add that though the first season of new podcasts are uh, has come to an end. there uh, in every podcast player um Apple Podcasts hey gregory say that again because uh,
0: you um you went robotic for like probably about 15 did seconds I? Wow. you did okay i don't know if sure. that's the storms that are rolling in but it was right uh, after you said I, I, even though this well, has come to be. an end
4: yes yeah. uh even though season one of someone like me has come to an end those episodes are still available through your chosen podcast player um the, the big ones are Apple podcasts, uh, Google podcasts for, uh, Android users. Uh, they're also on Spotify. Um, they're, you know, pick your podcast player app, Luminary, Stitcher, Deezer, Out, Overcast, Castro. I mean, they're virtually everywhere. Just search someone like me and look for the green square and, and you'll see it. Um, Each of those players has uh, the little curved arrow that is a share feature. So if you come across an episode that you know somebody would be interested in hearing, you can share directly from there. Um, It's also worth mentioning that
0: the website uh, has an embed player for each episode as well. Each episode has its own page. So if if you don't have a smartphone because there are people out there don't have smartphones or you wanna share it with somebody who might not be technologically savvy, we all know yep. those people. You could just go to the website um, and find the link for the individual episode and share it that way. So,
4: yep. So um, all of season one is available and um, subscribe. So they automatically come to you because I'm pretty certain there's going to be a couple bonus episodes in between seasons. I'm going to do a little hint there,
2: um, <laughs>
4: but again, thank you for listening. Um, it's, We do this to have these stories heard and to make them shareable, and podcasting is the platform for that. Um, I have withdrawn the idea of video podcasts because we definitely want to keep the uh, survivor's identity anonymous, so the audio podcast is the medium for stories like these. Mm -hmm. Um, So please subscribe and keep your ears peeled for season two as it comes along.
0: And remember, uh, tickets, um, couple tickets for the Voices of Freedom event, which is happening October 1st, have gone available today or have become available today. Um, you get a nice dinner from Loveless and then you get to join us for a virtual gala um, to help support Slavery Tennessee and then look into Hands of Hope, which is the monthly giving program for Slavery. So everyone, its it was so good to see all of you and thank you for watching at home as dogs come in and out i'm sure you've been seeing my dog (laughs) she she needs to go outside i think so thank you everybody for watching and it was good to see all of you again and remember to subscribe and rate and review the show and we will see you in season two
4: thank you very much bye